uh, we're going to start off by looking at the uh, kind of the end of our section last week. We're going to look at Luke chapter 9, verse 20, and then we're going to jettison over to Exodus chapter 3. And one of the things as we've been going through Luke, specifically this last week, that God has put on my heart is if I'm trusting him, if I'm looking to him to be my provision, if I'm looking to him to not only be my provision in moments such as this, but in every single day and in every area of life. And one of the areas he really did this in my life This last uh, uh, March, uh, Pastor Tim and myself, we were able to go to a youth conference in Des Moines, Iowa. And when we showed up, we were expecting it to be a pastors and leaders conference. And we were surprised to see like 2,000 youth kind of just surrounding the church and going in and out. And the first thing we thought to ourselves is, we're in the wrong spot. We signed up for a youth conference, not a youth leaders conference. But we were already there. We had already paid for the hotel. We were already sitting there. So we were like, well, you know what? Let's go in and let's see what it's about. And it turns out that while we were there, God really put it on our heart to be able to host this conference, to be able to have this here in Colorado Springs, which we're going to have hosting in March. And it's really cool because it's not only for the youth, but it's also for leaders to be able to build them up and allow them to lead at their age and really share the gospel with others. But as we've been preparing for this and as we've been going out, we've been gathering different youth pastors across the city, trying to generate interest, trying to find places for them to stay. And we had a meeting on Friday. And I just remember I was super stressed out. I was trying to get everything together. I wanted to make sure it looked nice. I wasn't being very friendly to other people. And as we were going through this meeting, God gave me a very pointed question that he put in my heart. He said, Tyler, are you going to trust me with this? Are you going to let me provide for you? And when we look here in Luke, we see that Jesus is teaching his disciples that he's their provision, that he's the one that they need to turn to every single day, whether it's being sent out to perform healing and miracles, to feed the 5,000, or even in believing who he is. And that's what we need. We need the provision of Christ. So part of that, as I was thinking about that, God put it on my heart and he asked me, he says, well, Tyler, who do you say that I am? Who am I to you? And that's the question that I have for you guys as we look a little bit at Moses' life here in Exodus 3, is who do you say that Jesus is in your life? Who is he? So let's pray, and we'll jump in here into Exodus 3 and look at the life of Moses. So, Lord, we just thank you so much for this day. Uh, We thank you, Lord, just, Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to just be able to come and and share this burden that you've placed on my heart. Lord, to just look at, Lord, our life before you and see, Lord, that we need you as our provision. And, Lord, I just pray tonight that you provide the words, Lord, that need to be said, Lord, for me. That you allow, Lord, those who are here in the congregation to see you, to know you, and understand their need for a deep relationship with you in their life. Lord, bless us as we move forward tonight, and Lord, just show us, Lord, how you are a provision. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So as we turn over to Exodus chapter 3, I want to give you a little bit of a background to where Moses is at this point in time. And most of you guys know who Moses is, hopefully. So at this point in time, Israel is under captivity 
um, in Egypt. And Egypt has begun to harden their load on the Israelites. They've put hard taskmasters on them. A new pharaoh has shown up that does not see favorably towards them. And every time they tighten their load, God blesses, blesses Israel and multiplies their people. So much so that the Israelites quickly outgrow the Egyptians. And there's probably around three million of them at this time is what it's estimated. And in this time where they're treated horribly, they start crying out for a savior. They start crying out because their burden is heavy. And up comes Moses. And during that time when Moses is born, Pharaoh had declared to the land that if there was a male baby born to an Israelite, that they were to throw them in the Nile River. They were to cast them aside and they were to kill them, but spare the females alive. And so during this time, the faithfulness of Moses' mother, she hides him for three months. And eventually gets to the point, I mean, babies cry, you get it, where she can't really hide him anymore. So she makes a basket, sends him down the river, and where does he go? But to Pharaoh's daughter, right into the arms of Pharaoh's daughter. And he's crying out, and Pharaoh's daughter looks at him and chooses to keep him as her son. And the cool part of this is obviously um, with that, she needed provision with someone to nurse Moses. And so she goes and she finds Moses' mother, and his own mother actually gets to care for him in that early age. But eventually Moses would go and live with the Egyptians. He would grow up. He would have power. He would have authority. He would have all the knowledge, the education. And the uh, Jewish scholar Josephus even tells us that it was likely that he was going to take over as Pharaoh one day. But Moses also had a burden placed on his heart from the Lord. And that burden was he knew he was different. And his burden was for the people of Israel. Specifically, he saw that their taskmasters were hard. He saw that they were treated unjustly. He knew their pain. He knew their suffering. And so Moses decides to act in his own interest on this burden, which I believe was given from God. But the problem that he had is he acted without consulting the Lord. And so he goes out one day, and this is in Exodus 2, and he sees an Egyptian beating an Israelite. And so he kills the Egyptian and attempts to hide him in the sand, thinking he did the right thing. And the next day he goes back, and he sees two Israelites fighting. And he reaches out to him and says, Brothers, why are you fighting with one another, trying to get them to understand that they need to unite together? And the Israelites reject him and ask him, are you going to murder us as you murdered the Egyptian? So ultimately word gets to Pharaoh and Moses is forced to flee to the wilderness. He had a burden. He had a desire to serve, to free the people. And yet by acting in his own provision, it led him to the wilderness. And God uses this wilderness to humble him. And this is where we pick up in Exodus chapter 3. And so we'll look here at Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, and it says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock back to the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. So Moses, he's been in the wilderness for 40 years at this point, doing the things of a shepherd. And what's interesting about this is if you look at it, it's not even his flock that he's leading. He's become a humble man. He's taken on a new calling, a new way of life, something totally different than what he had in Egypt. And he's doing it. 
He would have known the mountains. He would have known the wilderness. And as he's walking by, we notice that the angel of the Lord appears to him. God had not forgotten Moses. He hadn't forgotten him. Though Moses had failed in his own strength and own provision, God still looked favorably toward him and still wanted that relationship with him. And so he goes in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush, and Moses sees it. But here's the thing. God can show us things. He can try to get our attention. He can bring things before us. But we have to be the ones that decide whether or not we act on it, whether or not we move forward in what he brings to us. God will not force us to love him. He will not force us to serve him. He desires for us to. He wants that intimate relationship with us. And Moses here in his failure has to make a choice in it. Let's look at verse 3 at his response. It says, Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. Why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. When we look at this, Moses makes that decision to look further into this. He says, this is not an ordinary bush. Something's wrong with this. Like, it's on fire, but it's not. Like, it's on fire, but it's not destroyed. And he chooses to go forward and look at it. And here's the thing about that. I think about the times in my life when God is calling out to me, when he wants to reveal something to me, and I ignore it because I'm so focused on what I'm doing or my provision. Think about it. Think about an example in your own life. We all have a cell phone, don't we? And you think about this, like, hey, you should really spend some time with the Lord. And you're like, nah, I'm texting. I'm busy. I got to look this up. I got to check the scores. I got to do this. I got to reach out. Or for me, I know this is the one that gets me all the time. It's early in the morning. It's like I wake up before my alarm. And I'm like, man, this would be a really good time to do my devotions. And I'm like, nah, but that extra 10 minutes of sleep will clearly give me all the energy I need to get through the day. It's like, no, it's not going to. The call is there. One of the pastors here on staff, he told me, he's like, when the Lord wakes me up early, I have learned over the years to get up and spend time with him. And if we really think that extra 10 minutes is important, that says a lot more about what we think about our provision than what God knows we need. Or how about this one? We get home, the kids are in bed, the wife's away, something like that, and you have some time to yourself. And you're like, well, the new Star Wars show came out today. I could watch that. And it's like, no, the Lord wants you. He wants your attention. He wants your time. He wants that relationship with you. And I want you to know, a lot of times I fail in this area. And when we have this burning bush moment, when God is putting something in our heart to reach out to him, do we respond to it? Or do we look to whatever we think is going to provide our fulfillment? And I wish I could tell you that I always made the right decision, but I don't. And I know I'll mess up again. And the fortunate thing is God still loves me enough to keep reaching out. What a great thing that is. But when we see this, when the Lord sees that Moses turns in verse 4, he calls to him. He says, all right, I have your attention. Now I'm going to call you by your name. You know what's cool about that? Even in Moses' mistake, even when Moses murdered an Egyptian, lived in the wilderness, God did not forget his name, did not forget him, and intimately knew him and desired that relationship. 
And so no matter where you're at in your relationship with the Lord, God wants that from you. He knows your name. The Bible tells us he knows every hair on your head. I can't even begin to tell you what that's like. But God desires that. And it's up to us. We need to respond to his call because Moses here, when the Lord says, Moses, Moses, he says, here I am. Is that our response that we have before the Lord? Do we look at the Lord and do we say, here I am, Lord, I'm, I'm ready. I don't know what you have for me, but I'm here and I'm ready to see what it is. And so as Moses is here, as he's responding, he wants to draw near to the Lord here in verse 5, and let's see what happens in this. In verse 5 of Exodus 3, it says, Then he said, Do not draw near to this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. He stops him. Moses is desiring to draw near, and the Lord stops him. And he says, this is holy ground. There is separation between us. And you know what this shows us? This shows us that God is holier than us. That he's greater than us. That there is something different about him that we don't have. And now I don't know what would have happened if Moses had ignored that and just kept going. I don't know if it would have been something where he burst into flames. or I, I have no idea. But I know that God stopped him because he desired that relationship. He still wanted that intimate connection, but God is also greater than we are. And that's something that God has been teaching me and really growing me. And it says, Tyler, when I say that I'm going to work, I'm going to work. I need you to trust me. I need you to know that you can't figure it out in your head because you are not God. You are not the creator, but you have to trust that I've got this. In Moses, he takes the sandals off as a sign of respect. He's learned from being 40 years in the wilderness, dealing with sheep or whatever uh, sort of wildlife that he has to, that it's not about him. He's already learned that in his own provision, the best that he could do was murder another man. That's not very good, is it? That's a horrible provision. But if we're honest with ourselves in our own power, that's all we can amount to is destruction. We need something different. We need God. We need something to bridge that gap of separation. And fortunately, we get that. His name's Jesus. He died for us on the cross so that we can be, we can have that connection. We can stand in the presence of the Lord because of that. But verse 6, he says, Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon the Lord. God reminds him that he had not forgotten his covenant with Israel. He says, I am the same God who reached out to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. I am the same God who cared for them. I am the same God who promised to multiply their descendants. I am the same God who promised to be their provision. And Moses, I am the same God for you. And that's the same God we worship, the same God we get to see. And Moses, he responds by recognizing that God is greater, recognizing that he needs the provision that only God can provide him, knowing that he can't do it on his own, and he hides his face because he reacts in godly fear. He has reverence for the Lord, and we should respond this way. When God operates in our life, do we see him as reverent? Or do we try to put our provision and our needs and, and how we want to see him before? If we're honest with ourselves, 
I think the answer changes from time to time. I know for me, I can be so self-absorbed sometimes that I look at myself and I don't see the amazing works that God is doing in front of me or what he wants to do. And we need to slow down and stop and recognize, you know what? I might not understand how this is going to work, but God does. I might not understand how he's going to provide for me in this situation, but God does. And see what he'll do and draw near to him. But it doesn't go just to that point. It's not just, oh, hey, I'm holy, you are not. We also see here that God is a relational God. He reaches out to Moses. He wants him. Let's look at verse 7 and see the depth of this and where this goes. And so in verse 7 it says, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And in this verse, if you're taking notes, we see that God sees, God hears, and God knows. He sees their oppression. He knows that it's their taskmasters. He knows their sorrows. He hears their cry. And this is what it means. Knowing their sorrows, not just like, oh, I see you suffering. That's so bad. No, he knows it. He's a personal Lord. He's felt it. He can relate to us in a way that he takes on our pain and our suffering. And this is what he did in the man of Jesus Christ. This is why he came, why he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross, to live as fully God and fully man. And he fully related with our pain, our sorrow, our suffering, our trials. Hebrews 4, verse 15 and 16 says this. It says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. Isn't that an amazing thing? God knows our weakness. He lived it. He knows what it's like to stub your toe. It's the worst. I don't think they had Legos in their time, but I bet he would know what that would feel like too. Stepping on your kids' Legos, it's awful. It's the worst. I want them banned. But he knows this, he knows your weakness. And then in verse 15, he keeps going, he says, But in all points was tempted as we are, yet without sin. We see that Satan, he takes him out to the wilderness. He tempts him with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and tries to say, Hey, if you bow down to me, all this suffering can end. This can all be yours. And God, Jesus, he rightfully responds by looking to his Father, looking to the word of God to be his provision. And we should do that too. He knows what that's like. But then verse 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help in our time of need. God desires for us in our weakness to come to him. He doesn't desire for us to cower and hide and try to deal for it on our own. But you know who tells us that? Satan. He tells us that we're not good enough. He tells us that you have to be cleaned up first before you can come to the Lord. He tells you that God's not going to listen. He doesn't hear you. He doesn't know your name. He doesn't think you're good enough. And you know what these all are? They're lies. God knows you. He hears you. He knows the sorrow and he deeply wants that relationship with you. He says, reach out to me. He says, find grace. Find your help in time of need. And that's what we need to do. When we face a problem in our life, bring it to the Lord. Seek his word. Seek his counsel. God doesn't desire for you to do it on your own. 
He doesn't desire for me to deal with it on my own. I can't imagine that. I mean, these kids over here are awesome, but I cannot imagine what it would be like trying to pastor them in my own power and own strength without the Lord. It would be impossible. I would fail miserably. I'm not that cool and I'm not that smart. I need the Lord. Amen of that. (laughs) It's a good thing. And that's what God wants from us. He wants us to come to him. But more than that, when we come to him, we know that he's going to do something about it. Here in verse 8, it says, So I have come down. So verse 8 of Exodus 3 says, So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, to a land of flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. He tells them, I, he tells Moses, I have something better for the people of Israel. Something better than your hard taskmasters in Egypt. Something better than serving as a slave. Something greater for you. And here's the cool thing. We have that same promise. Because like the Israelites were slaves to the Egyptians, we're enslaved to our sin if we don't have Christ. It separates us from God. It brings us to a place where we have no hope. And that's why Jesus died on the cross for us, so that he would bridge that gap. He has a future for us. He has a home in heaven for us, a place with no more tears and no more suffering, where we can worship the Lord and know what it truly means to have that fullness that he provides. Doesn't that sound better? But Satan will, again, he'll try to lie to us and tell us the opposite. But it's so much greater when we live in the provision that God has, and there's even more to come. I don't know entirely what heaven's going to be like, but I know that no more pain, no more sorrow sounds pretty great. It sounds pretty cool to know that I'm not going to grow tired there, that I'm not going to grow old, and that God's provision is going to last forever. What an amazing thing that we get to see. But here's the cool thing as well. In verse 9, it says, Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression to which the Egyptians oppressed them. Verse 10, come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. God chooses to use Moses, a man who has failed, a man who has no place delivering the Israelites. And yet God says, I pick you. What would that have felt like if you were Moses? You're like, Lord, I, I just watched the sheep. Like, that, that's my job. I look at the sheep. I care for them. And you know what that shows us? God desires to be relational with us. He desires for us to rely on him. He wants to provide for us. I think about it this way. Like my daughter, when she wakes in the middle of the night crying for food, she's about nine months old. It makes me happy to have her have that provision of mom feeding her. A, because it stops the crying, but also B, because I know she's growing and she's getting what she needs. Parents, think about it with your kids. Are you delighted when you get to provide for them? You have Christmas coming up. How exciting is it when you get to see your little boy or little girl open that gift or you get to provide that for someone else? It's an amazing thing to get them excited. It's like God wants us to be part of that. In his grace, he's going to show us, hey, I know you bring nothing to the table, Tyler, but that's okay because I've got everything. And you look at the disciples in Luke when all they can do is muster up to, uh, like a couple crackers and some small sardines. 
That's the best that they could do to feed 5,000 people. And it didn't even come from them. It came from a young boy. And yet God is like, okay, the minimal that you had was enough. I can take care of it. And that's God's provision for us. He can take care of it. He can take those steps because it comes from him, not ourself. And what a wonderful thing that is. But of course, we hear this, and when God puts that burden on our heart, and he's like, hey, I want to use you, what do we do? We do this in verse 11. But Moses said to, the, to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Moses looks at the problem in front of him, and he's like, there is no way. I've been there, Lord. I've tried that. Uh-uh. Not happening. I can't do this. And I do this, too. I see these barriers that come up all the time. And God will be like, Tyler, are you going to trust me with this? And I'm like, I don't understand how, Lord. And he's like, just trust me with it. And I'm like, but Lord. He's like, trust me. Just do it. It'll be okay. And when we bring it to him, you'll be amazed at things that God will do. It's an incredible thing. And the cool thing about this is even in Moses saying, hey, Lord, I I don't think I'm the right one. Like, are you sure it's me? What an amazing and awesome answer. God gives us in verse 12 as he gives Moses. In verse 12 he says, So he said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you I have sent to you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. He says, Moses, you don't have to worry about it. I'm going to take care of it. I just need you to be obedient and to trust me with it. I just need you to walk in it and I'm going to take care of the rest. And he says, this is how confident I am. I'm going to bring you back to this spot, and this is where you're going to worship me when we're done delivering you from the Egyptians. It's like, that's how confident I am. I'm not going to show you another trick. I'm not going to show you uh, any sort of miracle to confirm this again. He says, I'm going to bring you right back to here, and you'll worship me. And it's a great thing. And the sign that God promises Moses is that he's going to do it. What more do we need in our life? If God says he's going to do it, if he tells us he's going to provide for us, if he gives us a promise, why do we doubt? It has everything to do with our perception of who he is. And we need to get that under control. And this is how. Let's look at verse 13. So then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? So Moses, he's looking at them, he's like, well, what about the other guys? What about the Israelites? Okay, so I'm going to do this, I'll go, but what do I tell them? What am I going to say to them? Why are they going to believe me? He's like, what knowledge am I going to give them? What thing that God has revealed am I going to be able to prove to them? And God's answer is such an incredible answer. And God said to Moses in verse 14, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. He says, I am. There's nothing comparable to me, Moses. This is what you're going to tell them. I am. There is nothing greater. There is nothing stronger. There is nothing mightier. I am. One of the ways that helps kind of understanding this and looking at this. In junior high, we've been going through question and answers um, every week, and we've done this for the last couple of weeks to answer some difficult questions that maybe others are too afraid to ask or that are avoided. And one of the questions that came up 
one of the questions that one of the students asked is, who or what created God? And we think about that question, and it can bother us a little bit, can't it? Because in our mind, we want to find an explanation for God. We want to find a way to fit him into our box, don't we? We want to find a way to fit him into our provision. And the answer to this question is actually pretty simple. And God tells us that pretty clearly in Revelation and Genesis. Is that nothing. If God had a creator, he wouldn't be God. That's what makes him God, is that he is I am. He is greater. Now, isn't that the powerful force you'd want behind you when taking out the Egyptians? Something that can't be explained. And he tells us in Revelation 1.8 and 22.13, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. In Genesis 1.1, he says, um, in the beginning, God created. It all comes back to God and his power and his might. But also it goes more than that as well, because we see when Jesus comes onto the scene, he gives a few more words to the I am. Jesus, throughout the course of his ministry, tells, tells us that he is the bread of life, the light of the world, the door of the sheep, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life, and the true vine. You know what's cool about these? All of these are a connection we need. All of these tie to I am because God is our provision. He is the I am for every circumstance we face, everything we need in our life, and so much more. And do we recognize God this way or do we try to fit him into our box? Because I know for myself, I wrestle with this constantly where I know he's the I am, but I so badly in my human mind want to try to understand a way to understand God. And you can't because he's God. And what a wonderful thing. And think about this. So if we look at 2 Corinthians 3, verse 4 and 5, it says this, it says, And we have such trust through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything of being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. In order for us to be sufficient, it has to come from God. It can't come from ourselves. And some of us might be angry about this because we love to provide for ourselves. We don't like to rely on others. Well, God's like, well, guess what? You're going to have to. He's like, because that's what it means to have a relationship with God is that you're going to rely on him. You're going to look at him for your provision. He wants to care for you and he loves you deeply. And here's the point of it all. Israel was to be reliant as God is there I am and we're to be reliant on Jesus the same way. Anything else we're reliant on will fail us. It won't come to fruition. It'll leave us wanting with a gap and desiring more. But Israel here is going to see this. And God's not done giving instructions to Moses because his job was to tell them that God is their provision. So let's look at verse 15. It says, Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all the generations. He says, this is my memorial. This is my name forever. And it doesn't work like this. So think about it. You're following the Lord. You're worshiping him. You get to heaven. God does not stop providing you for you or being your sufficiency halfway through heaven. It's not just like, oh, sorry, I ran out. Sorry about that. No, his provision is forever. 
is forever lasting. He is I am forever for us. Not temporarily, but forever. Isn't that exciting? It's an amazing thing. And it goes on beyond that. He's like, I did this for Abraham, for Isaac, and Jacob. I'm going to do it for you as well. I'm going to be your I am. I'm going to be your provision in your memorial. Verse 16, so he gives them more instructions. He says, go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and of Jacob appeared to me saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, to a land flowing with milk and honey. He tells them, he says, tell them this, that God has not forgotten them. Tell them that God sees, hears, and knows their suffering. Tell them that God has promised to deliver them, that there is something to look forward to in this land of milk and honey. He says, tell them what I just told you. Then they will believe you. In verse 18, as we look at it, it says, then they will heed your voice and you shall come and you and the elders of Israel to the king of Egypt and you will say to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now please let us go three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. He says, take the elders, go before Pharaoh, Ask him to let you go. Seek your provision in the wilderness from God. But verse 19, it says, But I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not even by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in its mists. And after that, he will let you go. He says, the Pharaoh is not going to listen to you. He's not going to let you go. He's going to want to withhold your provision. He doesn't want you to have your provision from the Lord. And we think about it. We have somebody that does this to us too, don't we? Satan. He doesn't want you to seek your provision from the Lord. He doesn't want you to go to him for your need. He wants to convince you that you're fine, that you can do it on your own, that you can seek it out on your own and you'll find it. Well, we've already looked at this. This is not true. We need God as our provision and our provider. And in verse 20, we look at this. God is not going to deal with this lightly. I want to read it again. It says, So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in its midst, and after that he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall be when you go that you shall not go empty-handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. God tells him, because they won't let you go seek your provision, I'm going to take their provision and give it to you. And that's the promise he makes him and exactly what he does when he goes forward is Israel plunders the Egyptians and God uses that as their provision. And so we think about it in our life today and we look at it. Not only, like think about back to Luke. Not only when he fed the 5,000 was there enough for the people. There was more than enough. There was 12 baskets overflowing. 
And that's God's provision in our life. He's going to give us an abundance of provision, but we have to bring it to him. And I want to show you a little bit about what this looks like. I have a story to tell you, and it's kind of a fun one. My family was able to take a vacation to Florida a couple months ago. Uh, hurricane season, September time, it was great, lots of rain. And while we were down there, I was able to take my three-year-old um, to the Kennedy Space Center. He loves space, he loves rockets, he loves the moon. It's just what he's into. I don't know how he got there, but he does, and he just cares about it. And while we were down there, we found out that Starlink, one of the companies, was going to launch a rocket. And we could see it from the beach not far from our hotel. And I thought, sweet, okay, it's a little bit past his bedtime, but that's okay. I'll take him down to the beach, we'll have some fun, we'll chase some crabs on the sand. And so we go down there the first night. Weather's bad. They scrub the launch. They say, nope, it's not going to happen. Take him down there the second night. Like, okay, weather's a little bit better, let's see if this happens. 30 seconds prior to launch, they scrub it. I'm like, ugh. All right, well, we got two more chances. Maybe we'll see it. We'll keep trying. I'm taking him. He's excited every time. By now, it's a thing where he's looking forward to it every night. Third night, no launch. Finally, on our last night, we're there. It's counting down. No launch. We didn't get to see it. And I was so disappointed. And I was like, man. So I picked him up. My son's name is Malachi. I'm like, Malachi, I'm sorry, buddy. They can't launch the rocket. We're not going to be able to see it. And my son did something that blew me away. He looked at me and he said, Daddy, he needs new batteries. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> but then he did something else and he said, you can fix it. And it broke my heart because I couldn't fix it. But he had faith in his dad he didn't understand the situation. He didn't understand there's a thing called rocket fuel or engineers or an entire team that does this. All he understood is, well, I see my dad. The rocket's not working. My dad can fix it. And so we think about that in our life. When we see God, when we have a problem, how do we see him? Do we see him as the one who can fix it, that we give it to him not necessarily understanding how or even how it works or anything like that? Or do we hold on to it in disappointment and think, well, I, I'll just take care of it myself or I'll, I'll become bitter and angry about it. And that's what we need to do is we need to bring it to the Lord and this is how. So jump back over to Luke chapter 9. And this is how, this is how we see God as our provision and how we start allowing him to provide for us. And it's Luke 9, verse 23 and 24. And Jesus is talking to his disciples right after he asks them, who do you say that I am? And he says to them in verse 23, then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. It says, you have to lay your provision down and take mine up. And my provision for you is the cross. But it's not just a one-time thing we do here. It says daily. Meaning whenever we need a provision, we go to the Lord. We spend time in prayer. We reach out for help. We seek godly counsel. And we need to do this daily. Are we going to mess up? Absolutely but we come back to the cross and we follow after Jesus. And verse 24 says, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. 
It says, you cannot save yourself. But if you put your trust in me, I will save you. And that's what we come down to. Denying ourselves daily and bringing our burdens to him. And this is what Jesus did on the cross for us. When we had no hope, when sin had separated us to the point where we couldn't draw near to God, he drew near to us and his son Jesus. And he died on the cross so that he could pay the price for your sin. And so tonight, as we close out, we have an opportunity to remember who Jesus is and take communion together. We have an opportunity to remember that he died on the cross for our sins, that his body was broken for us and his blood was spilled for our sin to be washed away. But it's more than that. Maybe you're sitting here tonight and you know that you haven't sought God's provision. You could be following him and maybe you're seeking it in your own power. You have an opportunity to respond. We have pastors that will be down here at the front, and God wants you to take that step. He wants you to bring that provision to him and say, God, help me. Cry out like a child. That's what he desires. He wants to be able to do that. Bring your burden to him and allow him to be your provision. And maybe you're here tonight and you don't know Christ is your Savior. You have an opportunity to respond. It's not too late. God didn't forget Moses, and he doesn't forget you. So as I close in prayer, and we enter into communion, the worship team will come back out. But if God has put something on your heart and you know you need to bring it to him, don't wait. So Lord, we just thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you so much, Lord, for the opportunity, Lord, to just to hear from your word, Lord, to know, Lord, that you draw near to us and that you love us, that you are a provision and we don't have to do it on our own. And Lord, I just pray tonight, Lord, that if there's anyone here that they don't know you, that they would take that bold step, they would come forward for prayer, that they would bring their need to you, Lord, and allow you to be the one that provides, Lord, even if they don't understand it. Lord, I just pray you bless us, Lord, as we enter into this time of communion, Lord, this precious time of fellowship with you, and allow us to just be looking to you every single day. And in Jesus' name, amen.